This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at Ravinia.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. Crime is up on the L, and Mayor Lightfoot shut down a plan to increase Metro ridership on the south side, a plan she endorsed as a candidate. We'll get to those transportation stories in just a bit. But first, more than 2,000 nurses at the University of Chicago Medical Center walked off the job Friday. It was the first ever nursing strike at the hospital. Nurses said staffing issues at the hospital put patient safety at risk. Clad with flags, a megaphone, and several signs, nurses at the University of Chicago Medical Center are on strike, and they say it's for patient safety. The nurse is deeply unhappy with what they say is chronic understaffing here at the University of Chicago Medical Center, working forced overtime. That is why we had to strike. Patient safety is our right. That is why we had to strike. Although the strike was set for one day, nurses won't return to work until Wednesday because the hospital guaranteed replacement nurses at least five days of work. Chicago Tribune healthcare reporter Lisa Schenker has been following the story and explains how we got to this point. The nurses have been without a contract since April, and so they've been negotiating and they reached a wall with negotiations uh, mid last week. It was about Wednesday night when both sides said this is just we're not going to be able to work this out in time to avoid the strike. What was the reason for the breakdown? The hospital said the reason for the breakdown was the issue of incentive pay for future nurses that would be hired. The union says that it's more about staffing and overtime. And what is incentive pay? How would that work? I believe it has something to do with pay that uh, is allotted to future applicants, but I'm still looking into the details of that. So in terms of staffing and and nurses' uh, main complaints around that, what, what are they describing as being the issues? They're saying that they just need more nurses, essentially, that each nurse is taking care of too many patients and that patient care suffers when that happens. When I was talking with nurses who were striking uh, outside the hospital on Friday, one for example, described to me that uh, on weekends and holidays, nurses from the pediatric operating room are expected to work in the adult op, or vice versa, nurses from the adult operating room are expected to work in the pediatric operating room. And so, I mean, they know what they're doing, but it's not ideal. Now, the hospital says the number of staffing complaints filed by the union members represent a fraction, less than one half of one percent of all staffing assignments made, and that their nursing staffing levels are the best in the state and the city. Can you put that into some context for us? You know, they say our staffing levels are exactly where they should be and that we're doing great on staffing. 
they say this isn't our issue. They say we have other issues, but this isn't one of them. They say the hospital says that they already put forward a proposal to improve staffing to the nurses, but the nurses didn't want it. Uh, the nurses say that what was being offered just simply wasn't good enough for them with staffing. Do you know the details of that proposal? I'm still looking into the exact details of it. But yeah, I mean, it basically just boils down to the nurses wanted more staffing than the hospital was willing to give. As we mentioned earlier, the strike was set for one day, but it's turned into a five-day lockout until Wednesday because of the contracts with replacement nurses. They were guaranteed five days of work. And the hospital says it made this clear to union-represented nurses and the union since they were notified of the strike. Do you have a sense of how the transition has worked for replacement nurses at the hospital? The hospital says that the replacement nurses adjusted very quickly, that there were no issues. Uh, They had a very detailed plan as to how they were going to walk out the nurses who were still on shift Friday morning and walk in the nurses who were replacing them. The replacement nurses went through an orientation session before they actually started on the job Friday. Now, leading up to the strike, the hospital said it hoped to maintain normal operations, but hospital leaders said they've had to make some tough decisions about the services they can provide. Can you talk about some of that? Sure. Uh, Yeah, they had hoped to carry on as normal, but they say that they had trouble finding enough replacement nurses because there are about a dozen other hospitals also on strike that same day across the country, um, among other issues. And so they ended up moving at least dozens of babies and kids out of intensive care at the hospital to other hospitals. They ended up closing some of their units. They did stopped accepting patient transfers from other hospitals. And uh, they went on bypass, meaning that they asked ambulances to take all new patients to other hospitals. Have you been able to speak with anyone who's receiving care at the hospital? I've talked to some patients who were mostly going to doctor's appointments, some people coming out of the hospital. The people I talked with said that they didn't notice any problems with their care, that they didn't feel like it was compromised in any way. Um, Though a couple people that I talked to said that they did feel a little, that if they were in a situation where they had to be an inpatient at the hospital again, that it would be a little concerning. That's Chicago Tribune healthcare reporter Lisa Schenker, and we're speaking about the latest on the nursing strike at the University of Chicago Medical Center. I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Joining me on the line is Denise Summers, a nurse associate at the University of Chicago Medical Center and a member of National Nurses Organizing Committee and National Nurses United. That's the union representing the over 2,000 nurses on strike. Denise, welcome to the program. Thank you. So we just heard from Lisa about the events leading up to the strike on Friday, and we reached out to the hospital. They provided a statement that read in part, quote, the outpouring of professionalism and support we've received from our own employees and the rest of the Chicago medical community is extraordinary. We remain committed to providing exceptional safe care for our patients and look forward to welcoming our nurses back on Wednesday. Your thoughts about returning to work on Wednesday? I think we're all ready to get back to work. But what we wanted to make known is that we, the nurses and the nursing uh, nursing staff from all areas, want to make a point that you cannot make patient care all about like a one-size-fit-all. You have to look at the acuity and come up with a system and the ambulatory and the specialty areas like utilization management to provide adequate staffing so that we can provide the care that we're supposed to and that they deserve. You cannot provide quality care with 
for heavy patients, meaning that they require a lot of care and think that that's okay. And so we hope that this right here is let them know that not only reducing staff, but reducing the patient population, meaning closing the doors and closing down departments, will set a standard and let you know that you need us, and so does the community, and they deserve better. How much distance do you think there is right now between what the union is asking for and what the medical center is willing to offer? There's a great deal of distance. Um, They are not willing to compromise on the compensation package um, that they're offering. They're still a little far off on um, the staffing so that it is safe. They want charge nurses to continue to take patients. They want to divide it between days and nights. Therefore, they won't be able to do their job, which is to help uh, support the nurses that are on the inpatient side. Well, hospital leaders have been critical of the nurses' union for going on strike, saying the hospital made a major proposal that addressed the union's concerns and resolved staffing issues. The hospital's chief nursing officer, Deborah Albert, called the strike, quote, simply reckless and irresponsible. How do you respond to that? I would say that's odd that she would make a comment like that, being that she hasn't been at the bedside in over 25 years. I would like to see her donor pair of scrubs and come and see what some of the nurses are describing as intolerable to be able to care for patients. They have no clue what we do um, and the care that we give. Uh, and to make a statement is that it's not reckless. What's reckless is to move uh, patients, very sick patients, including our babies, to other facilities. What's reckless is to be able to pay approximately $4,200 for this five-day lockout for these nurses. Each nurse, whether it be their compensation, their um, travel accommodations, and their hotel accommodations, and in some instances, lunches, just so that you can make a point that we're wrong. That's what's wrong. They spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars, uh, for this strike instead of coming to the table with a comparable and satisfactory contract. What would you say to patients who who are concerned about the quality of care they're receiving in light of the strike? I do apologize that it had to happen this way, but we are actually doing this for their safety. We are looking at this for long term, not just one day of the strike that it happened. Um, I am thankful that there were some nurses that were there who I'm sure care about them and care for them the best that they can, but contrary to the comments that Debbie and the leaders are making, they're not doing well. Many of the our, my resources show that many of the nurses that are coming in for replacement are not happy, and they can see why we are fighting, because the assignment is just too heavy. Well, bargaining teams have met for negotiations more than two dozen times since March. Negotiations start again on Wednesday. What will the nurses' union be asking for? The same thing that we have been asking for. We've been asking for them to come to the table with a comparable and feasible contract that will allow us to have workable work schedules and work assignments. That's across the board, whether it be inpatient, whether it be in the ambulatory setting, and in our specialty areas like utilization management and our procedural areas. We're asking that they supply us with supplemental nurses so that we can ban against the uh, mandatory overtime. 
We're asking for a compensation package that will not only retain the current nurses, but will also stand to recruit new nurses that we need to be able to adequately care for the patients. That includes the tuition reimbursement. That includes the health care benefits and other things. They have to come with something better than what they're doing. They're taking away many of our benefits. Denise, if those requests aren't met, what happens next? We'll go back to the table and to collectively think about doing what we need to do. And if that means another strike, then we'll be able to do that. That's Denise Summers, a nurse associate at the University of Chicago Medical Center and a member of National Nurses Organizing Committee of National Nurses United. Denise, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Quickly, I want to turn back to you, Lisa. Thousands of other nurses at hospitals in Florida and California and Arizona also went on strike Friday. Just give us a sense of the broader context of labor issues in the healthcare industry right now. Sure. I mean, those strikes that were going on across the country were through National Nurses United, which is you know similar to the union here. Most of those were tenant hospitals, which is a big hospital chain across the country. Um, I mean, this is an issue I think that's been ongoing for a while. Nurses just, they want more staffing. They want more resources. Um, The economy is strong right now, and um, unions are kind of resurging in some ways. That's Chicago Tribune healthcare reporter Lisa Shanker. Lisa, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Let's turn from healthcare to transportation. As always, Mary Wisniewski of the Chicago Tribune is here to fill us in on what's happening in transportation news. Mary, you recently reported on crimes on the L being up. What kind of crimes are we talking about? Mostly we're talking about robberies. Uh, We're talking about serious crimes. We're talking about uh, robberies with with guns, with force, also pickpocketing, and a small number of sexual assaults and other kinds of serious crimes. Well, we know CTA installed thousands of cameras, uh, hopefully as a crime deterrent. Has that had any impact? They've installed 32,000 cameras. So there's cameras all over the system. It's one of the most highly monitored systems in the country. And this is something that as they were putting them in, there's been bragging about how much this is going to help crime. And they do help to solve crime. The problem is that there's a lot of crime that happens, you know, with pickpocketing, it's sometimes very hard to detect. Another problem is this lack of staffing. We have actually less staff um, that's Chicago police that's patrolling the CTA than there were in the late 80s. They've recently upped the numbers in the summertime, and they've decided to have those increased numbers become permanent. They've also had problems within the Chicago Police Department of having a lack of uh, detectives, which they're also working on. And so those those issues together contribute to, you know, the, not only have we had an increase in crimes, but we've also had an increase in the number of arrests. What does CBD say they need to make the L safer? They always will talk about, you know, wanting to have more staffing. And uh, the other thing that's happening with the CTA is that even though Chicago police takes care of the arrest, takes care of the investigations, the CTA has put on their staff a new vice president of security, who uh, Kevin Ryan, who's a, a longtime veteran of the Chicago Police Department. They've also tried to increase their private security that they have on, not, I shouldn't say increase, but improve their private security that they have on the CTA. Instead of seeing one guard with a dog now, you're going to see pairs of guards on the CTA, and they, which they believe will be a better deterrent. Put this in context for us when we think about overall safety. 
in public transportation? It's a safe place to be. One out of 95,000 rides. What the CTA has told us that is is that it's the, they're moving the equivalent of the city of Philadelphia mm-hmm. every day on the system. And so it's it's still very safe. And they also say, no, no one wants to blame the victim, but they also say a lot of these crimes are, are aimed at cell phones, which are which is something that's new. Twelve years ago, you weren't people weren't holding the equivalent of a hundred dollars in street value in their hands. And uh, the people really have to be careful and watch what they're doing and realize that there's this kind of thing happening on the system. Well, recently, City Council passed reforms to the city's ticketing fees and fines policies. And reporting from WBEZ and ProPublica Illinois found that low-income African-American neighborhoods were disproportionately impacted by those policies. You revisited some reporting you did in 2017 that focused on other ticketing that also disproportionately impacted low-income African-American neighborhoods. Tell us about it. That's right. Um, Bike tickets are something that is much more commonly seen in low-income African-American neighborhoods than is seen in other parts of the city where there's a lot of bicycling in places like Lincoln Park and like Lakeview, where people are always complaining to me, hey, there's all these crazy bicyclists trying to run me down. But we're not seeing tickets there. We're seeing most of the tickets in Austin and in North Lawndale and West Garfield Park, places like that. What types of citations are we talking about? Mostly for riding on the sidewalk. That's the vast majority of the tickets. A few are for running a stoplight or not having lights on your bike. Well, I wonder how this connects to a larger infrastructure question about how bike-friendly the city makes certain neighborhoods, you know, in right. comparison to other neighborhoods. That's a really good question because there, if large swaths of the south and the west side don't have the bike infrastructure that you see in other parts of the city. You don't have protected bike lines. You don't have painted bike lanes. But what people tell me is that they're afraid to ride on the streets, and so sometimes they will choose the sidewalk for safety. And one of the people I talked to, uh, Bernard Lloyd, who's a community activist who's also an avid bicyclist, said he was stopped and ticketed for riding his bike just a half a block mm-hmm. on the sidewalk in the Bronzeville area. He said right away there were blue lights, and then there was another police car because they called for backup, and he, th- he thought it was a ridiculous waste of time. And uh, he, uh, he was able to go to court and get it thrown out. Now, overall, there is a drop in ticketing for yeah, bikes, there's, right? there's quite a big drop. It had been going up for years. It was about 355 tickets for the entire city about o- over 10 years ago. And now it's, uh, then it went up to over 4,000 in 2016. It's dropped to about 2,000 last year. And this year, the first half of the year was about 600. It looks like what's happening is that the Chicago police are pulling back on the policy of using these tickets. Um, I talked to the Chicago police and they told me that uh, no one's being told not to write tickets, but there are a lot of other tools at their disposal to fight crimes in some of these neighborhoods. Do you think this also speaks to an increase in bike traffic in the city? One thing it might speak to is that uh, the police speculated that people might be following the rules more, and maybe that's one reason why there aren't as many tickets. There's an increase in the bike culture, and there's also going to be an increase in bikes because Divi is expanding to every part of the city by 2021. I want to turn to some Metra news. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle put forth a proposal to lower Metra fares and increase service in the Metra Electric and Rock Island train lines. First, give us the details of that plan. Sure. This is a plan that's been talked about for years because there's a lot of areas in the far south side, um, the near south suburbs that are what they call transit deserts. It's difficult to get bus service. If you you live down in, let's say, Riverdale, you have to take a bus to get to the red line. 
And so the the proposal has been, well, maybe if we could lower the fares on the Metro Electric line and the Rock Island line, we can get more people to use that, and they would have a more convenient way to get downtown without doing this maze of buses. And so the proposal was that Cook County would subsidize this in a pilot project for three years, make whole Metra and the CTA for any kind of losses they could take on that. And the idea is try it out, see if it works, see if it increases ridership for Metra because ridership has been dropping on those lines. And so this was the proposal, and there are a lot of community groups and business groups who are in favor of it. But Mayor Lightfoot is pushing back against this plan. Why? Yeah, this she says that she talked to Dorville Carter, the president of the CTA, and thought that there would be too much of a cut in CTA's ridership because of this plan. Too many people would be jumping on Metro and not going on the red line or not taking buses. And it was a, a bit of a surprise to supporters of this because Lightfoot had expressed interest in it during her campaign. Well, I think there's general agreement that there needs to be more transportation access uh, on the south side. So what's the way forward? I think that there's going to be continued discussions about this because this is a plan that's been talked about for a while. This is something that Metra has said that they're willing to work with the county and with the CTIA on. So I don't think we've heard the last of this yet. So uh, just as we wrap up here, you've got a warning for people who may be heading to O'Hare over the next week or so. Tell us what's happening. Right. Um, They're doing continued track work on the CTA blue line and uh, starting the end of this week and going for nine days, there is going to be what they call a track cut between Rosemont and O'Hare, between the last stop before you get to O'Hare and O'Hare itself, which means that you're going to have to get on a bus and then, you know, take the bus. If you're going to O'Hare, you're going to have to get on a bus at Rosemont to go to O'Hare. If you're coming from O'Hare, you're going to have to take a bus to Rosemont. And the CTA says it's going to add about 20, 30 minutes to your trip. So plan ahead. That's Mary Wisniewski. She's transportation columnist with the Chicago Tribune and transportation contributor here on The Morning Shift. Mary, thanks for the update. Thank you. And that's it for today's Morning Shift. Want to get in touch? Suggest a topic for a segment? Just give us some feedback? We'll leave a message on our hotline anytime, day or night. The number is 888-915-9945. That's 888-915-9945. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.